0: It's Friday, August 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is the Daily Dive. U.S. immigration officials conducted raids on several food processing plants in Mississippi Wednesday, detaining 680, mostly Latino, workers in what was the largest workplace raid in at least a decade. About 300 parents with small children have been released, but the raids still caused a lot of anxiety and fear in the community. Alisa Zhu, reporter for the Mississippi Clarion-Ledger, joins us for more. Next, Puerto Rico has a new governor, its third in less than a week. Former Secretary of Justice Juan de was sworn in after the Supreme Court ruled that Pedro Pierluisi was sworn in on unconstitutional grounds. Still, there is much unrest as the people of Puerto Rico do not want Vasquez to be their next governor. Samantha Schmidt, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for What's Next for Puerto Rico. Finally, after the new Top Gun Maverick trailer dropped a few weeks ago, we were treated with a look at some of the newer jets that will be flying in the movie. Rob Verger, assistant tech editor at Popular Science, joins us for everything we know about the old Tomcats and the newer Super Hornets Tom Cruise will be flying in the movie. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: The government, (laughs) government, please put your heart, let my... Parent, we with everybody else, please. Don't leave the child with kindness and everything. Joining
0: us now is Elisa Zhu, reporter at the Mississippi Clarion Ledger. Thanks for joining us, Elisa. Thanks for having me. It was back in July when the president had announced that there were going to be some upcoming immigration raids focused on getting immigrants out of the country. Nothing really happened for about a month. There was a few reports here and there. But then this past week... Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents executed search warrants at several food processing plants in Mississippi, and it resulted in the arrest of about 680 people. What do we know about these raids?
1: We know that they happen at seven different locations in Mississippi, all targeting different food processing plants, and nearly 700 people were detained, and, and now we know that 300 people have been released uh, back to join their families the rest are still in federal custody and uh, Overall, it's really thrown um, The lives of the families involved uh, into chaos
0: It was the first day of school for a lot of kids uh, in these areas and uh, there was some of them where their parents got cut up and and they didn't have anybody there I think Officials said that they supplied parents with cell phones, so they can call and make arrangements for child care for their kids. But still, even the Mississippi Department of Child Protective Services, also said that they weren't given advance notice that this was going to happen. So it was kind of a mess for a little while.
1: Yeah, I mean, according to the people I talked to in the Morton community, which is about 40 minutes outside of Jackson, now it seems that um, in a lot of cases, uh, parents have returned home. But sometimes one parent is back, the other one isn't. So I spoke to a woman who is close friends with a family. The family is just a mother and daughter who were separated. And the friend told me that the girl, like you mentioned, it was the first week of school. Once they heard that ICE was raiding the food processing plant, they rushed to the school, picked the girl up brought her to the plant in hopes that maybe they could convince the uh, agents to let her mother go uh, more quickly, you know, seeing as she was uh, the only parent involved with this child's life. Um, And she was actually uh, in a community about 30 miles away from Morton um, that had also been hit by ICE raids. Um, But someone had to drive those 30 miles to go pick her up and bring her back home. The friend told me that the moment the the mother and a daughter were reunited, the daughter almost fainted. She was, you know, obviously very relieved to have her mother back, and uh, she stayed home from school today because she just didn't want to be separated
0: from her mom again. I, I think they said 30 people were released immediately because they were asking people, "Do you have children?" And if they're a single parent and they had a child, they let them go instantly. Uh, And as you had mentioned also, if there was two parents involved, uh, they would keep one, release the other. Um, Since the beginning, ICE officials and the president said that they would be targeting criminal aliens. Is there anything to suggest that any of these people caught up at these food processing plants had any criminal records, things like that?
1: Um, that could be the case. But one what people have been telling me is that these aren't criminals that were uh, caught up in the raids. You know, they're, they're not killers. They're not violent right. criminals. But, um, you know, the law they broke was entering the country without proper documentation. That's what I've been hearing from members of
0: the community. So some of the people that were released were given GPS ankle monitors. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, they were trying to process these people as quickly as possible, but you saw some people that had uh, GPS trackers.
1: Yes. I uh, went to a parking lot near, um, Coke foods in Morton, and there were uh, still a handful of people, uh, waiting for their loved ones to return. Um, their loved ones are really worried. I met a woman who had a, uh, ankle monitor. And, uh, she told me that, um, she had tried to run, I guess, when ICE uh, agents came in and, uh, she tripped and fell. There was a big bruise on her leg. Um, and she was waiting in that parking lot because her husband had not returned. He had also been swept up in the raids. Um, and, uh, what a translator had told me later is that um, the woman had heard from someone else that her husband was on a bus to Louisiana.
0: Wow. Um,
1: And that would be for uh, federal detention.
0: Right. And then just reaction from local businesses out there, maybe people that have not been involved in these raids, specifically uh, local businesses, other people. I mean, I would imagine the general feeling out there would be fear and just kind of uncertainty.
1: There's definitely a lot of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety right now. I spoke to a woman who owns Maria's Mercado um, in Morton, and uh, as you can imagine, a lot of her uh, customers are Latino. Um, she says her store you know, has been pretty empty, and even though none of her family members uh, have been caught up in the raid, um, she had a neighbor who was the neighbor, um, she said, had not returned home, and he left behind a, a wife who's eight months pregnant. They have several children, and the, it, the wife is obviously distraught and and struggling to
0: hold things down. Elisa Zhu, reporter at the Mississippi Clarion Ledger, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me.
2: I'm taking this job as your governor at this historic moment without ever having any political aspirations, but now with the firm desire to complete my mission to serve the people in the best way I can.
0: Joining us now is Samantha Schmidt, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Samantha. Thanks for having me. So Puerto Rico has been going through a lot of turmoil recently. They just swore in a new governor. It's the third in less than a week. This comes after Ricardo Roseo resigned. They put somebody else in. In the meantime, they determined that that was unconstitutional. So that person had to step down. And then the original person who was supposed to take over, Justice Secretary Wanda Vasquez, was sworn in as the governor, even though she's previously said she didn't want the job. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Samantha, help us walk through this.
2: Yeah, it's been a uh, basically a game of musical chairs in Puerto Rico these last couple of weeks. It all began, of course, with these massive protests over the Roselló political scandal and he which of course began when some messages were leaked that showed him saying really offensive things about political leaders about victims of the hurricane and uh, after massive protests he resigned and then just before he was officially going to step down last Friday, he nominated someone to succeed him. And this is where it got complicated because the next in line to be governor was the secretary of state, but that position was vacant. So he had to nominate somebody to fill it, but then they needed to confirm that person before he stepped down. And so he nominated Pedro Pierluisi and Pierluisi was confirmed by the House, only the House. The Senate did not confirm him, but he was still very promptly sworn into office on Friday. There was uh, The Senate ended up filing a lawsuit challenging Pedro Pierluisi's legitimacy as governor, and the Supreme Court ruled that the grounds in which he was sworn in as governor were unconstitutional and meant that the next in line for governor would be Justice Secretary Juan de Vasquez Garced who, as you mentioned, previously said she did not want the job, but in this moment agreed to take on the job because this was what the Supreme Court called for. So uh, she was sworn in as governor. And so basically this is where we're at. We have a third (laughs) governor in less than a week.
0: There's people in her own party that are already talking about a fourth person to take over the position just because she has a lot of political baggage. But people in her own party are recommending Commissioner Jennifer Gonzalez, who's Puerto Rico's representative to the U.S. Congress, saying that, you know, she could possibly be the next person to be nominated to secretary of state. Wanda Vasquez would have to resign and then she would have to step up in there. But Wanda Vasquez, uh, I mean, she's not well liked by the people right now. Also, what's been going on with her?
2: Pretty much immediately, as soon as she she arrived at the governor's mansion called the La Fortaleza in San Juan last night, there were protests outside. People really see her as an extension of the Rosario administration, which of course has been plagued with corruption and with some of these recent scandals with the text messages. And even though she wasn't directly implicated in those, they see her as just an extension of that administration. And she's also had a bit of it tainted past. She is the only secretary of justice to be charged with and later cleared of criminal activity. She's been accused of mishandling prosecution of members of her own party, uh, Rosellos party. She's had several public spats with members of her own party. In many people's eyes, she's she is not what they were looking for in, in the successor. And pretty much immediately after Roseo announced his resignation, they've been targeting her. And basically, at this point, um, it's unclear what's going to happen next, but it does sound like there's a lot of power struggle and a lot of conversations happening behind closed doors to see if, you know Jennifer Gonzalez would be the next possible governor and kind of what would need to happen for her to take office. But as of last night, the the current governor, Juan Vasquez gave a statement to the Puerto Rican people saying that she is going to serve. She's going to take this on. I mean, she did not talk about stepping down anytime soon. So it's kind of another wait and see situation. But it certainly sounds like the turmoil is not yet going to settle down in Puerto Rico.
0: I mean, the next elections aren't until November 2020. So that gives this person, uh, you know, a little over a year to govern there. But in the meantime, you know, there's tons of stuff going on with the corruption, with the mismanagement of the economy there. And, you know, are the people of Puerto Rico, they rose up to get Roseo out of there. Are they going to stand by for Wanda Vasquez to be there for a year? I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens and to see if Vasquez can do anything really to turn around how bad the situation has gotten there in Puerto Rico.
2: Right. It's just been one thing after another there. And, and while the final kind of the most recent protests have been around the scandal with the text messages, it's really a buildup of so much of mismanagement of funds, of the poor response to the hurricane. Thousands of people estimated to have died in the in the hurricane. And another thing to keep in mind is that it's just about to be hurricane season again. And can you imagine what would happen if even a a small storm came through? And you know, there's still so many problems with the infrastructure there and some people still have their lives interrupted by the storm, which is now almost two years ago when it hit.
0: Samantha Schmidt, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you.
3: problem here. Now I'm breaking out four aircraft on the radar. Not one pair, two pair. Repeat, four bogeys. Wood, we've got four bogeys. Make that
0: five! Joining us now is Rob Verger, Assistant Tech Editor at Popular Science. Thanks for joining us, Rob. My pleasure. Thank you. It was a few weeks ago now that the trailer for the new Top Gun movie dropped. Tom Cruise is reprising his role as Maverick, and we get to see him fly around in some very cool jets, much like the first movie, but The jets in the new movie aren't the same ones as the original. Rob, you uh, talked to actual Top Gun members, which is the training program, basically. You talked to some of these instructors, and you talked to them to get some differences from what the old jets are and then the new ones that they're using now. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Absolutely. So the jets in the original Top Gun are F-14 Tomcats, and those are like big, tough, fast airplanes. They're known for being kind of like tricky to fly, and they accelerate quickly and they were designed around two people to operate. So you had the pilot up front, and then you had the RIO, or radar intercept officer in back, and that, that was Goose, of course. Right. Um, and then the new planes are F-A-18 Super Hornets, and the nickname for them is the Rhino, and you know they're a much more modern aircraft. They can be flown by just a single person, although there's also room to, uh, you know, some of them come in a variant where you could have two people, and then the person in the back would be a weapons system officer, or Wizzo. So those are you know much more modern airplanes. They're known for being more agile, maybe a little bit easier to fly than the Tomcat or easier to be good in. But also, I was really hearing from these pilots a little bit of um, almost like the, the Tomcat was the kind of big, tough American plane. And then the newer planes are also great, but they don't have that same kind of like bad boy image.
0: Yeah, they were the loud American muscle, as one of the uh, pilots was calling it. So tell us a little bit more about the Tomcat and how it came to be. Obviously, it was widely used back then, but that's not something we fly anymore.
3: Right. It's been retired. And the only country that currently has it in their Air Force that I know of is Iran. And the Tomcat was originally kind of, it came up during the Cold War, and it was designed to defend the carrier strike group. So it was kind of designed, as one of the pilots told me, among uh, you know, with a single purpose in mind, which was to defend the carrier strike group whereas the Super Hornet was designed more as kind of a multi-role fighter that's capable of doing many different things.
0: Whenever we get older planes, and this is the whole thing that we went through when we were talking about the Apollo 11 landing that just happened a little bit ago, you talk about the leaps and technology. The onboard computer on these Tomcats are nothing compared to what they are now.
3: Yeah, I've heard that computer described as running off of a magnetic tape, and it had so little memory that it It couldn't run you know multiple programs simultaneously, so there's a bombing program and an air to air program and the rio the guy in the back goose would have to hit a button to change the program so that plane was designed around two people and because the you know, the radar interface was so difficult to use and that, you know, the computing power was so limited, it took the two people to operate it. And, you know, the the new planes, you know, one pilot was telling me that one of the displays is now touch sensitive. So it's more like an iPhone. And I've heard the Tomcat described as more of a Commodore 64 with wings. So, you know, people talk about the Tomcat with a lot of love, but you also hear about these quirks about how, how hard it was to operate or operate well.
0: We all know that the pilots are going through a ton of stress while they're flying. They're going through multiple Gs. Is there a difference in how they feel in the cockpits in either of the planes?
3: Well, I think you know any fighter jet that anybody rides in, and I can personally attest to this as just someone who had the chance to fly in an F-16 with the Air Force uh, back in May, that any aircraft you're flying in, any high-performance aircraft, if that aircraft is capable of producing a lot of G's on the pilot's body, then that's a serious thing that kind of everybody needs to take seriously, whether they're sitting in the back seat uh, as the Rio or the Wizzo, or whether they're flying it. And there's a number of things that pilots have to do to manage these G's. You know, they have to, uh, they have to do something called the anti-G strain maneuver, where kind of tense up all your muscles and you, you wear something called a G suit. And all of that is to prevent the blood from kind of rushing down to your legs and your ankles and, you know, out of your brain, in which case you could then uh, potentially go unconscious and experience something called G-lock or G-induced loss of consciousness.
0: I saw the video of your experience in that F-16. It was actually very funny and very cool to watch. I mean, the video is, is really amazing. How many Gs did you go and how was that whole experience?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, I had the opportunity to go up with the Thunderbirds in May and, you know, we took off. The pilot brought us up to about 10,000 feet in just around 30 seconds. You know, we pulled about 5.4 g's on that climb. Wow. Uh, later, we did some maneuvers, and I pulled uh, a little bit over six g's. And uh, the jet and the pilots and the people who ride in it are able to withstand up to nine g's or so. So I didn't even—I did about two thirds what the jet could do in terms of what I experienced. And. You know, I personally found those G's to be kind of almost a kind of a frightening experience in terms of the, the profound forces that it kind of makes you feel. And then on top of that is the air sickness, which I think any first time uh, kind of rookie in the backseat of a, of a fighter plane might feel. So after I got back on the ground, uh, you know, I was I threw up multiple times. It was very, you know, physically sickening. But if it's possible to feel grateful to have had a kind of exciting experience and oh. had that experience also really make you feel terrible that was kind of the upshot of it for me
0: (laughs) cool i'm excited for the new movie and excited to see a lot of these new jets in there rob verger assistant tech editor at popular science thank you very much for joining us
3: my pleasure thank you so much
0: that's it for this week join us on social media at daily dive pod on twitter daily dive podcast on facebook leave us a comment Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Brooke Peterson and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.